welcome in another episode of Indiana Drive. Uh, not gonna lie to any of you, uh, just was crapping myself before this interview. I mean, this is someone that I this is a big moment for me because I, I mean, I'm interviewing a major league baseball player, and uh, I hope you recognize that uh, I did okay. I think I did okay. I didn't think my voice sounded too nervous when I was talking to him, but just know on the inside, like I couldn't contain one, my excitement because it was super cool. And two, I was hoping just not to, to make it awkward or, or slip up in any place. Uh, cause it was, it was such a cool honor to, to have this guy on. Um, I wouldn't say we go way back. It's not like I'm boys with him or anything. I don't want to come off like that either. Uh, but Shared a lot of great memories. Uh, as a kid, he was someone who I look up who who I looked up to. Uh, just being a water boy, watching him, um, just go to work every day and handle things with, you know, the utmost confidence, with the utmost uh, drive that he had. I watched it, even as a nine, ten year old. I recognized it. I saw it, and I knew what it was. So, um, it's it's kind of cool to talk about those memories a little bit. And um, just kind of talk about the state of the MLB right now with the lockout. It's one of the first segments we're going to get into. And just, it, it was really awesome. So without further ado, let's get into it. Enjoy this one. This is Matt Whistler, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Indiana Drive with uh, Caleb Zuber and friends. This, this, I'm nervous. I'm sitting here shaking. I'm, this is, I've never had this big of an interview in my life. So bear with me here, Matt. Matt Whistler, uh, MLB pitcher for the Rays. Uh, he is on with us here today. Um, Matt, how, how are you been, man? How's the offseason going? That's been good so far. We're just kind of hanging out. I, I got uh, we moved this year from Georgia to California, where my wife's from. So we've been kind of getting settled into the house, uh, just getting everything kind of hanging out and getting a normal routine out here. But uh, otherwise, it's been good. Thanks for coming on with us. And uh, I do want to talk about that. Uh, we'll, we'll start with that first, actually. Just kind of what this off season's been like with the lockout here because as a fan you're kind of waiting for the players association and the MLB to start having some discussion discussions I think some news just dropped today that they're planning on meeting meeting here soon so how are you as a player like navigating from what you're hearing and trying to stay ready and if this season's going to start on time yeah, I think for me, it's it's a little bit, I mean, it's kind of been, we all knew this was going to happen. I mean, we've been talking about this as players since we kind of got, you know, the 2000, when we signed 2016, after that, when we kind of saw some of the stuff that went wrong in it. So we, basically for five years, we've been talking about this is probably going to happen because we're going to have to fight, you know, to get some rights back and try and change some things, which is how the game's getting played out these days. Um, so we've been kind of preparing for it. Um, I try to stay as involved as I can. I mean, I, I didn't go like the winter meetings and stuff like that, but honestly, it's been kind of that we've been talking about this for five years. It's like, what else is really going to change? So, um, yeah, the player, as players, we knew this was going to happen. 
Um, I'm just kind of getting my training done. Like we're going to start on time because you just never know. It's kind of going to be a thing, a thing like we did summer in 2020 with the pandemic shutdown. It was like, all right, here we go, here we go. All right, never mind, here we go. So I think I learned a little bit from that, which is kind of nice on just like making sure my arm and stuff's in shape and ready, but not necessarily prepping like the seasons like a little bit away. So giving myself a little bit more room to long toss or to do things just to kind of build strength and stay in shape and then, you know, work on the fine craft as I get closer to actually once we hear, cause I mean, when we hear the dates actually like um, official, you're going to have two weeks. There's just no way between contracts and all that stuff, right. you're going to have probably a week to 10 days to report because I can't just all of a sudden flip a switch and it's like, hey, you got to get here tomorrow. So you're going to have a little bit of time to kind of dial it in. So just kind of taking my time, you know, getting ready, doing the things I need to do to make sure I'm ready. Um, other than that, I mean, with the lockout, what I'm hearing, yeah, we got a meeting Thursday, but I, if I had to guess, nothing's going to come out of this. It's going to be that thing that LB is going to bring a proposal over. <clears throat> We're probably not going to scoff at it. We're going to tell them, like, no to these things. We'll take a week, do a counter proposal, then MLB will say no, and then it's going to be like another like week before they even meet again. So it's just going to be a slow thing, and until the money starts, you know, being lost by teams, I don't think anything's going to matter. We don't as players lose mm-hmm. money until April, the teams start losing money in spring training. So when money starts being out of people's pockets, I think right. that's when you're going to really stuff get done. Um, so you were talking about how like we've known this is going to come for five years now. So. And as a fan, you know, maybe other people know this, but for me, that's kind of surprising. Like, this is something that you guys talk about a lot. And, like, you guys are discussing this a lot. You knew it was coming. I'm sure you're still talking about it right now with teammates and stuff like that. So kind of take me through that and what that's like, you know, how how you guys have known this is going to come for five years and just always, always talking about that thing. I think that's kind of unique. Yeah, I think after the last CBA, uh, I think we, you know, even the player association's players, we kind of saw that, you know, we're going to have to really dig down next time to get some of these. Because of the way teams have used the current stuff, you know, time manipulation, you have, um, you know, guys don't, guys used to get paid, overpaid when they were free agents, and now guys are getting, you know, at value at best or underpaid. Right. And lifespan of a player is getting shorter because they don't value as age anymore. It used to be teams really valued veterans and now they value that cheaper younger mm-hmm. guy or that rookie that because the analytics basically tells you they're similar players so they want to have you know instead of the experienced guy they got to pick up a million two they'd rather just take their chances with you know a rookie that's making the minimum and it's a pretty similar player i understand like that's the thing is you know there's so many talented guys right now so you can kind of do it like there's i mean you got all these rookie guys stepping up into big spots and doing yeah and I think that talent level was that deep, you know, 20 ago. So teams are using that to their advantage. So, like, as players are like, all right, well, we got to start changing how we want to get paid then. So, yeah, we just kind of knew this was going to happen. And honestly, we didn't really talk about it for four years. It was just kind of like, all right, this is probably going to happen in 2021. Right. Make sure you're you know, not being done with your money. So, yeah, so we kind of knew this was happening. And then last year, like, as the season started progressing more and more, you can kind of see that we, we talk about a little bit more on, like, what things that we'd actually want to change. But honestly, nothing has really happened until this year because there's nothing you can do about it. It was a five-year mm-hmm. contract. Why, why even worry about it? Just play it for it. Understand it might happen. Like, be ready for it financially. And then, um, yeah, this offseason, I mean, I'm not – I haven't even stressed a minute about it. It's like yeah. when it happens, it happens. I'll be ready to go whenever it starts. <laughs> Right. Uh, so, okay. So, really, co- really cool stuff there. So, let's go. You said you're preparing like it's the season's going to start on time. Um, 
so coming off last season, you get traded midseason from the number one team in the National League to the number one team in the American League from San Francisco to uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, and you got to pitch, uh, and we were just talking about this right before you came on, uh, you got to pitch at Fenway Park in a playoff game under the lights in October. Had to be a really cool experience for you. So I think you would say, like, that's a dream come true, but what are some of the things that you're working on here this off season that you feel like you need to improve? And just kind of your overall assessments of how crazy last season was for you. Yeah, last year, I guess, seemed to be like a typical last couple of years for me with getting traded around and, uh, you know, one team. So basically the Giants, I came in, uh, you know, signed a free agent deal with them, really excited. And then obviously, yeah, they were the, if they weren't the number one team and fighting for every game against the Dodgers, I think I could have actually stayed there all year. But because I just ran into kind of a, you know, a blade saw early in the, in the year where everything just kind of went wrong against me, I, I couldn't find ways to get guys out. I was going to want to run. Um, you know, I didn't feel like I was pitching that poorly. I just couldn't buy, you know, anytime a ball was hit, it was basically a hit. Um, so it was a tough, tough go around for the first six, seven weeks of that season. And actually the first probably 10 days, probably the first 10 innings of that season really killed me for the, you know, pretty much my entire time with the Giants. I actually, once my pitching coach diagnosed uh, what was going wrong and why I was so good in 2020 and why last year wasn't just a simple fix that I was breaking in the chain. Um, at the foot level, and that was basically throwing everything else off. So my slider wasn't moving, which for me is obviously not good. So once we diagnosed that and I started getting some drills and stuff every day to kind of get better, you know, even my last probably uh, 10, 12 innings with them was actually pretty good. But they didn't have that trust factor with me to throw me deep into games. And, and you know, that kind of a race with the Dodgers, you know every game matters. So right. they couldn't just find it in, so they had to make a move, which I totally understood. Um but to then be picked up, yeah, by the Rays of all people, which I know is a great baseball team, uh, know is really good with pitching, how they handle analytics and stuff. I was super excited to get the chance to go down there and play. Um, and then, yeah, everything just kind of – basically what I was doing my last 10 or 12 innings with the Giants just kind of kept clicking and getting better and better when I got to the Rays and ended up having a really good um, <clears throat> four months there. Um, the only thing that really sucked there was the finger injury. And then, yeah, getting a chance to – get back and get healthy enough to try pitching the postseason was awesome. Like I, like I was telling you earlier, you know, the first game of the postseason, I did not do well because I just wasn't getting the same work in that I was doing, trying to avoid my finger, you know, flaring back up. And then after I gave it up, I'm like, all right, I, I can't be of any use if I'm not going to be good. So I just kind of went back to getting off the mound and my finger actually held up all right for me. And then I got to pitch, yeah, at Fenway in a pretty meaningful innings in the third game, which is pretty cool uh, under that atmosphere and those lights. And then we ended up winning that game you know, pretty cool fashion. So that was definitely something to remember, um, just the atmosphere and, and pitching in Fenway and, and seeing that and, and being in playoff baseball for the first time and on a winning team, you know, it was pretty fun. So that was the first, I mean, last year, I didn't get to pitch with Minnesota in the playoffs last year. So mm -hmm. actually getting that chance to pitch and actually having fans, because last right. year was not, you know, an empty stadium. So this year actually getting to like pitch in a packed stadium and, and that kind of historic venue was, was pretty awesome. So you've brought up analytics a couple times here so far in our discussion. And so I'm getting the vibe from you because this is like, you know, people who put their arms around old America's national pastime, right? They're, and they're baseball fans. They don't always like analytics. And they so but you seem to be someone as a player who embraces that a little bit. So talk about that kind of shift in uh, you know, analytics and the move towards it. And because it's really been since you've been in, in the league. 
Yeah, so a lot of stuff has changed in the last six years. The data teams look at now, I think the Rays, honestly, were front runners in a lot of stuff. The Astros, you know, teams like that, that kind of built from the draft up and the way they draft and develop guys. Um, I think it's a really good thing. I think there's honestly, you can get too far in analytics. I think sometimes you forget that you just need players. I think you can sometimes see a guy on paper and yeah, his stats may look good, but it's not a guy that you, you know, really trust in a situation. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to look at both things. And I think there is some baseball sense to people and, and, you know, obviously nothing can tell you a story, but they don't tell you the whole story. And if you kind of watch games and different things, but, um, analytics, um, like for me in 2019, like I had not a great ERA, but my other stats were actually pretty good. Um, and that's how I got picked up by the twins was because like my ERA didn't show the whole picture. And so I think having underlying stats that kind of show you, you know, your true value. And if you're truly, um, they can just show you some different numbers. And I think it's been actually a huge blessing, like with the, the stuff that they do to track us, like our track mans and things like that. Like, Last year, I really started to learn, you know, how to use that to my advantage. And like every day that I got on the mound on the side session, I could see that and I figured out, all right, this is how much my slider needs to like be breaking and what planes I want to breaking on. And that's going to mm-hmm. be, you know, basically if I'm throwing those sliders, they're not going to get hit. So um, using that to my advantage and I think just having that to like track every bullpen so that I know exactly where I'm at and I can make adjustments based upon that. and. Like the immediate fix that I had with the Giants of the one stupid like mechanical flaw, like immediately gained me like 10, 10 inches of break on my slider. And then just getting that consistent was all I did with the Rays. And then just doing that basically every day, getting off the mound, you know, probably four times a week. And then like just getting that locked in and then never trying to let that go, I think was what really made the second half last year really successful. Right. Um, so you're obviously taking all those things into account when you show up to the ballpark every day. Take us through a normal day during the regular season of an MLB baseball player. What time are you – because, I mean, here's the thing, Matt. Like, when I look at baseball as, from a fan perspective, it's 162 games. That's a lot. I mean, that, that is a grind for, for how long that season is from sometimes the end of March – till maybe the beginning of November if you're playing in the World Series, right? So it is a grind, and you don't take many days off, I assume, once the season ends till you're already starting stuff back up in the offseason. So, and during the season, you're probably there all day. So take us through a, a regular game day for, uh, for someone like you. Yeah, so <clears throat> home and away is a little different. Obviously, home, I get there earlier because everything's moved up, uh, being the home team. So basically on a home day, with the Rays, it's pretty chill. It's pretty calm. Um, you usually show up to the field for a 7 o'clock game, 1 o'clock. Um, just kind of get there, eat, hang out a little bit. Um, you know, if I have a little bit of time to kill, maybe play some cards with some guys. And then um, if, say, I think stretch was typically like 3.30 or something like that. So around 2.45, I'd start getting my body ready. i go into the weight room and roll out and uh, do some stretching, try and take care of my joints and stuff. And then... Um, do my pre-throw ritual stuff, get all my stuff done, if any plies, anything like that, then go out, stretch as a team or as a bullpen, play catch. Um, most days, if I if I pitched the night before and I felt good, I wouldn't throw off the mound that day. But if I didn't pitch the night before, 
I get off the mound and throw about 10 to 12, 10 to 15 pitches, just trying to work on my slaughter, making sure I'm sharp for that night, do a little bit of running, and then shag like a group or two of BP. For me, I was a little different. Uh, well, yeah, at home, shag probably two groups of BP, go in. Um, I would go sauna, shower, and then I would uh, I do a meditation every day, and that's helped me a lot in the last couple of years. So meditate for like 30 minutes, and then I got about an hour till the game time. So um, then I go shower, and then I go eat, and then if my arms, you know, <clears throat> loose that day or tight that day, I'll get treatment depending on if I'm feeling anything, just a stretch or something like that for the game to feel good. And then we go out there right after the anthem and uh, sit in the bullpen and wait to, to pitch. And then the best days are like the days, every once in a while you get a down day, and those are the best days. I take those as full-on mental recovery days. And say you pitch like two games in a row and they mm-hmm. tell you you're down that third day, you know, I just come in, crush some food, get a flush workout in, sit in the sauna for probably like 25 yeah. minutes, maybe hold tub, and then play light catch. And then usually uh, I'll just go in, crush some food, and play cards until the game. So it's a lot more relaxing day. But obviously being a reliever, you know, if I can get 25, 30 of those games a year would be great. Right. And so I'm sure those are really important. Like we talk about 162 game season. You need a couple <laughs> days where, yeah, I'm just not going to do anything today, yeah. right? <laughs> Trust level of the bullpen is being able to pitch every day. Like a, a position player, like, yeah, you're going to play every day. You're just kind of used to it. But, like, for us, like, we don't know if we're going to pitch. Yeah. So, like, you know, you could be sitting there for 162 games. You know, you could be you're pitching 65, 70 of them. But you're getting up and throwing in a lot of other games. And even the other games, you're sitting there waiting to see if you get called. Right. So, like, when they tell you down, like, those are the days for me that are, like, the most important because I can just mentally take the day off in right. case you don't get Right. Absolutely. Um, so, to kind of wrap up just kind of where you are right now, Matt, I, I'm just – I followed uh, your Instagram page, Off Season Eats. Uh, I want you to talk a little bit about that because I find it super fascinating, super cool. Uh, that you kind of started this kind of side project like that? What what kind of sparked it, and uh, what do you see for it? Yeah, I mean, I basically, I've always loved cooking. In the last probably five years, I've really started to get, you know, more depth in trying to read some cooking books and, like, trying to actually, you know, get better at it. Um, and then we've all, I've always tried to make good dinners. And then the last, I think it was last off season, we finally, I always joked about doing it, and my wife finally just created the page. And so we just started posting to it. I don't know if I'd ever do anything. Um I just enjoy cooking and some of my friends and stuff like seeing the recipes. So most of the thing that I can just give recipes out that I like uh, so people can see, you know, what I'm eating. Cause usually, yeah, we try and get people some good food when they're over at the house. So just kind of a fun project for us. Um, yeah. Just posting stuff and, and showing off whatever we eat. And if it's a good meal, you know, trying to make fancy meals, you know, once a week or something like that. It's just a fun side gig. And I enjoy cooking. So when we make a good meal, we just try and show people a recipe to try Here's a, here's a question I have, though, Matt. Does it continue during the season? I know it's called off-season eats, but are you still going? I mean, I don't know if you have time for that, but I, I'm, that's what I'm wondering. It'll be through spring training, typically. Because spring training, we can make dinner most nights still. And then in season, it'll maybe happen, like, twice. So we just don't typically. By the yeah. time we have to go, probably groceries and stuff in season, like, it's just it's, cheap to go get a nice dinner somewhere else yep. by the time I have to get all it, special ingredients because I don't have my normal stuff here so like it's just a pain and sometimes you just don't want to do anything so 
in season we make i make breakfast every day typically at home but other than that i don't really make a whole lot of food in season it's just too much effort (laughs) all right so when we come back we're going to get into uh matt growing up in small town Bryan, ohio and uh, how we got to this point stay tuned Welcome back to Indiana Drive. Caleb Zuber and friends here with Matt Whistler. Here, here's what I'm going to ask you, Matt, because you, you're very knowledgeable about what's going on around the league. I'm a Tigers fan. Mm-hmm. I want you to pitch me on why I – because I'm sure you saw they saw, signed Baez right before the lockout. They had, a, they had a better year last year. They got some young pieces. Give me a reason why I should be confident that the Tigers are headed in the right direction. Well, I think because they're going to spend, which is going to be a big thing, and there's a lot of free agents out there that are good. I think you got A.J. Hans, a great manager. Uh, I mean, he won a World Series, obviously took the year off from suspension, but he's mm-hmm. obviously a great baseball mind. And the only thing he cares about is winning. So I don't think – I mean, if you look at, like, their team, basically they had a bunch of guys that just weren't that good that were just playing. They just throw money at to eat innings. Like, there's some of their starters were just there to eat innings. Yep really caring about how competitive they were. They've got Chris Fetter's a new pitching coach, and I really like Fett. I was – he was my – so, like, when I was first drafted, he was rehabbing when I lived in Arizona for a couple of years, just training out there, getting used to pro life. He was out there rehabbing, so I got to know him then. And then 2013, he was, like, my assistant pitching coach when he first kind of got into the game. Coaching, he transitioned from a, from a player to a coach that year. And so he was there with me, and I really liked him. And then he just kind of worked his way up. He was at Ball State, where you were oh, hey. for a couple of years, Michigan, <laughs> alma mater. And then, like, so in, like, eight years, the dude went from, you know, nobody to now the big league coach for the Tigers. And I think he's really smart. He's up with the new stuff. He's a really good guy, and I think he's going to be a really good dude for the young guys. I mean, they got some young, talented arms coming up. Mm-hmm. And if they can develop those guys – uh, and I think Federer will help them a lot doing that. And I, I, like I said, I really like him. I had Hinch when I was in San Diego as well. And the short time that I had him, I really liked him. So I know a lot of guys like playing for him. So, um, yeah, I think, I mean, they got talent. They're going to need some pieces. They went out and bought a shortstop, which they needed. They still need to go get a veteran starter or something. And then they need to fix their bullpen a little bit. They got some studs out in that pen, but they got to, you know, you got to get a lockdown guy. Yep. So, I don't think they're like super far off and their lineup, even in 2020 when they weren't that good, like that lineup was scrappy as hell. And like they mm-hmm. were tough to like play. So I don't think they're too far off the central. So, uh, I mean, the Indians aren't really, they're not going to go out there and spend. So they're the, not gonna the, the guardians, by the way, got to get used guardians. to that. Let, let's work on that a little bit. <laughs> guardians are probably not going to be good for a little bit. Cause they got to go out and spend, which they, they won't do the twins. Kind of scuffled last year. I think they're better than what they played last year. They got some good t- yeah. good players over there. I think they'll be better this year. Um, and then the Royals, 
they're still not there yet either. Nope. They still got a couple more years and some pieces to fill. And the White Sox are good, but I think they're very beatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that's going to be. I think the Tigers compete with the White Sox for this. I do think that they're going to be good enough. And I think if they need to go out and trade somebody at the All Star break to make a run, I think they do it because I think they like, only care about winning now, which is the big thing when you just. When you preach winning and you don't care about anything else, I think that's what guys buy into. So yep. it's no longer going to be about, oh, I'm just getting time and money and eating innings. No, you better have quality innings or you're going to be gone. So uh, I think it'll add a little bit more urgency to that team. And like I said, the Central's wide open. So I think they got a pretty good chance to go in there and at least come in second place. It made me feel really good because it was a big offseason for them. And I, I like the bias signing and someone, a baseball mind like you, saying that was a good signing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, better than him and give them some. You know, he's a big game player, so I think yeah. if they can, he can kind of provide part to teams. Right. Uh, so let, let's move into you, Matt. Uh, growing up, because audiences got a lot of Brian people from back home, and uh, you know you're off doing great things now. Um, and and I want to ask you to start this thing off. Like, when was the moment? Like a story, go back when you're growing up, just that moment where you realize that like, because I ask everybody this that comes on, like, what was that moment where you realized, oh crap, like I can, I can really do something with pitching, with baseball, just, just in that realm. So I think it goes back probably my sophomore year, um, because I was always a little bit undersized, and I finally kind of grew when I was a freshman. Like, in between my eighth grade and freshman year, I kind of grew finally. And then I just kept growing through high school. So, sophomore year, there was a game against Defiance. And thank God it was against Defiance, because Tom Hellett ended up being, like, really instrumental for my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pitching against them. My first couple innings were not good, and all of a sudden, I just got really mad. And, you know, they had a gun on their scoreboard, and I just started throwing a lot harder. You know, I probably went from 82, 83 to – you know, I was topping out at like 87 that day. And then I kind of just kept gaining and gaining that year. And by, you know, sophomore year, I was sitting upper 80s, which for Ohio is pretty fast. Right. And um, junior year, I made some more leaps. And then junior year was a big year for me because, um, like, that was a year that kind of put me on the map. You know, I, sophomore year, I got some colleges interested, I think. And then junior year, you know, I gave up. I probably honestly for the whole summer and the whole spring and like all the way through, I only probably gave up like three runs the entire year. Um, Cause like high school, I only gave up the one fall ball. I didn't go any in the summer. I can't imagine I gave up too many either, but even then, like I, that summer in between junior and sen- senior year was when it like was kind of like, okay, I can actually pitch to the next level. Um, Cause I started going to like bigger showcases and facing some of the best in the country obviously mm-hmm. you know you can do well against northwest ohio but it's not you know guys from all over the right. country it's not the country so getting out and getting exposed to some of those players and, and playing in some showcases where the best of the best are supposed to be it's draft prospects and actually having a lot of success doing it i think definitely helped but it all probably stems back from that game against defiance sophomore year when i you know, kind of did well and then tom held kind of took me under his wing um and really helped me with the pitching side because he's done so well over there and, and kind of get with him definitely helped me um, get on some maps because he had some connections with colleges and scouts and stuff. So he was very instrumental in, in helping me sure. get to where I was. Shout out to Tom Held for this one. But I, I do want to ask you this too, because how I you know first met you, I was a really young kid. Uh, yeah. I was like nine, 10 years old, water boy in the high school basketball team. I, if you can remember back that far, it was a long, long time ago, which is crazy, right? It was but so long. 
But uh, I remember the one thing I remember from being like in that locker room all the time, running waters in and out of there, is uh, especially your senior year, you just trying to balance all of it. I mean, yeah. you had, oops, you says my mic falls. Um, you had, you had so many things to balance that senior year because you were wondering, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to, uh, am I going to go to college or am I going to go pro? I remember even one time, I think just after a practice or something, you had like a Blue Jay shirt on and you were talking to my dad about, you know, what, what the process was like. And I, even at my young age, I was sitting there thinking like, how is, like, how is this, how is he balancing all this? Cause it's a big decision. So just kind of walk us through that. Like what went into that decision and, I'm sure you're content with it because look at where you are now, but just talk about how that that decision has affected you up to this point. Yeah. Uh, so for that, at least, you know, my senior year I committed to college and I knew where I was going. So that was big to have off my shoulders. And then, yeah, obviously, um, you know, that, that, that winter stuff was a lot of fun playing basketball and stuff. And, uh, but it was also, yeah, I mean, I had during the winters when I had like scouts coming into my house, we would talk to scouts, go over, you know, that type of stuff, kind of getting to know the draft process and understanding how it worked, you know, to pick an agent out or an advisor, I guess, technically back then, pick out an advisor that I wanted to represent me through the draft. So you had all that stuff going on. I was just still balancing, you know, school and basketball, trying to put my full effort into basketball all while still training for baseball, because obviously, um, you know, I had to get ready for the season because that was where, you know, the whole season was kind of going to see where I got drafted. And um, it was definitely, <clears throat> yeah, there was, I mean, and honestly, looking back, like, I didn't really, I guess you just don't think about it as, as much when you're kind of going through it. Yeah. Um, you just deal with it as it is. And I basically, the only thing I added than normal was talking to scouts and that stuff. The stress didn't really come until during the baseball season. That's when it was kind of like, okay. So the winter months, just kind of focus on basketball and getting ready. And then, I had about 20-some scouts in my first game of senior year. It sucked, and then I lost all the scouts. Like, two teams were the only team. I think the Cardinals came back, and I think San Diego, and, like, one other team was still there because, like, the Cardinals had history with me because I played on their scout, like, one of their scout teams for a couple of years, and so the, the scout there knew who I was. And we had met some guys, uh, some different scouts, um, playing at their showcase stuff, and that's where we got to have some relationships with them, and Tom Hell definitely helped, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so having those kind of relationships, they knew that wasn't like exactly what it was. So it took me a little time to get going my senior year to get my stuff back. But, you know, thank God the, the Padres and the Cardinals kind of stayed there and watched. And then at that point, like I had, I kind of had like a number in my head, you know, where we were hoping to get in the draft to be able to go. And that's what we were just going to tell teams. And obviously a lot of interest was lost. So to have a chance of doing that, we had to kind of reevaluate that stuff, you know, what I would be willing to take out of the draft, and what I would just go to college. And then I had a couple showcases, one for the Rangers, one for San Diego, and like one for, I think, somebody else. And the San Diego one was actually, I think the day after, so I pitched like seven innings in a district game. And then, uh, the next day I had to show up and throw a bullpen for the San Diego team. And that was like, they were, they told me, cause I, they knew I'd pitched the day before and they were like, if you don't want to throw it, I'm like, nah, I should be okay. So I popped a couple of Advil in and that's back in <laughs> your arm. And like, I couldn't do it these days, but yeah. got up there. Um, you know, I had a really good bullpen. Like I felt fluid, everything still came out. And I think that was kind of what they saw that like, Hey, like this guy's free and loose. Like he's, you know, he's got some potential in there. And I was a scrawny kid. I mean, I was a buck 60, 
buck 70 on a good day and even with some of the strength training you know basketball like i never could gain weight because it just ran so damn much yeah so uh i think they saw that there was some potential for me to put on weight and gain some velo because like my mechanics were clean enough where there was room for growth and so they took a chance i think on me based upon you know that's the whole thing of the draft is your potential so because i was skinnier and, and they saw you know good athletic movements and things like that they thought they could grow and so the next year yeah things started to develop obviously once I got in the offseason put some weight on but um, yeah that was definitely trying to figure out whether I wanted to go pro or not and like we dropped we dropped the number a little bit and I kind of decided at some point like I'd rather try and go pro Um, (laughs) it's kind of funny looking back now I probably wouldn't have gave myself the same advice because like you know I think a lot of high school kids would flake out a long time ago because they didn't understand in the last couple of years, high school guys are so much better than they used to be mm-hmm. with all the technology and the workouts and stuff that they're like programmed with. Like it's insane the way these kids come out of high school nowadays, but like we didn't have, even six years ago, that wasn't there. So like a lot of high school kids would flame out pretty early because they didn't understand work. They didn't understand balancing the life. They just wanted to like kind of live up this life of a baseball player and they would be out of the game within a couple of years because they never did anything. And I was, you know, luckily thank God my parents mature enough to handle it and understand that it was a job and it wasn't just a fun hobby. Like it was real life, real serious. And I put a lot of work into it. And I think that's what helped me be successful, you know, as a high school kid back then. Cause I think a lot of kids just weren't ready for it. I mean, some kids would just, instead of, you know, your first couple years of college where you can party it out, like kids are going into pro ball and partying and then they, yeah. would be, they would stink and then they'd be out of the game. And it's like, you don't get another chance. So I think that's the thing that I've seen the last couple of years. It's like, a lot of kids coming out of college is better because you're more mature, you're you know better to able handle it. But I think a lot of that has changed in the last five years because the kids coming out of high school these days are huge. Like, I mean, I was like a buck sixty five, and most of the guys I was drafted with were pretty skinny. And then a couple of years later, like I walked into a locker room, and all these first rounders from high school were like six four, like two fifteen, dudes. <laughs> and I'm like, how does this happen? Like, what genetically just happened? <laughs> I didn't have so I think that is yeah I think it's different now than it used to be with high school kids they're just right. they're more mature their bodies are ready and like yeah they're like programmed from the time they're nine to be players so yeah right um so let, let's lean into a little bit about high school basketball quick uh you're I don't know if you know this I'm you probably still do um you still hold the record for most three points in a career. Now we'll get into that. We'll get into that in a little bit later. I do have some thoughts on that a little bit later, so we'll hold off on those for now. But um, Matt, you were like, in my opinion, you're one of the. You might be the best player that I've watched in my time in, in the community at Bryan. I mean, you were that good on those teams. So do you, one, I, one, first part of the question is: Do you tell any of your teammates like, hey, like? I'm a pretty good basketball player too. Like I, I don't know if you're talking about that ever. And uh, what are the some of the things you learned being a multi-sport athlete and uh, just playing basketball in general? Yeah, I would say there's definitely some better players. I would say my favorite still was Carp growing up, and it's funny now that we actually have a better relationship the older we've got. But yeah, Carp was I guess for good. you, I was your guy. But Carp was watching those guys play back in like the early 2000s. Those those guys mm-hmm. were way better than I was. It's hard to really, like, it's fun to joke with. And, like, my like shooting and stuff like that I feel comfortable with. But, like, there are some dudes that are just way more athletic so that I would never try and play them one-on-one. <laughs> but we always joke and stuff. And, um, you know, we'll joke with some different people while playing. But, obviously, I would like to play on a 
court, but we're all too scared to play with, yeah. you know, stuff. So it's fun to joke around with and, um, you know, mess around with some guys doing it. But I do miss, yeah, playing and stuff. I would never take that back. Um, I don't want my kid to be a one-dimensional player, you know, just in high school. It's going to be a little harder out here because, you know, the seasons don't merge. Like for, right. for us, seasons kind of ran right into each other. And it was perfect. But out here, it's just different with the weather. So nice mm-hmm. all year, you can play year-round. But I still don't want my kids, you know, if I'm blessed to have them to ever uh, just play one sport. I think there's so many things that you can learn. And even if once you get to high school, you don't play more than like one or two, like the two sports in high school, I still think that second sport helps. Yeah. Because growing up, I mean, I played soccer and that house with foot skills, the fundamentals of your foot, you know, your foot brain coordination, or whatever, and like learning how to run and getting your cardiovascular in and using your feet. And then obviously basketball is a totally different set of skills in other sports. And I think you know golf all these sports like they just kind of relate to one another like when you do some things on the baseball field it just relates into so many other sports that you can play and i think just having it just helps you be coordinated and i think that's a big thing that people just forget about is sometimes just being athletic and coordinated and just trusting it and i think when you just focus on one sport so much like you just become like a robot at times and that's something that i've still had to do myself is like Sometimes I just get robotic on the mound. It's like, no, man, like I have, I know what I'm doing. I can feel my body, like just trust it and don't think so much about mechanics. Just kind of have that free flowing. Like I said, I've got, now I've got a better idea of my mechanics and like the exact spots I need to be in a certain things, like the rest of it, I can just kind of let it go and be athletic with. So I've got my two or three things that I really keen in on and the rest of it's just kind of be fluid and, and just let it go. Um, and I think, being able to play other sports, even like now, like I like, I don't know if you've played pickleball yet, but it's pretty yeah. awesome. And uh, that sport alone, like it's going to help you with your feet and your brain and like hand-eye coordination. It's just a lot of fun. Sometimes it just helps you, you know, have fun playing sports instead of worrying so much. So so you play pickleball then? Yeah, it's, I've only played a handful of times, but it's awesome. Okay, so next time you come around back to Brian, I want to give a shout out to Ben Dominic, who runs the parks. They put in a pickleball court, I don't know if you remember, at East End Park, the tennis courts that used to be there. Does that ring a bell? East End Park. And the one up by, like, the uh, Eric Queen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they put in pickleball courts there. So next time, next time, next time you come back to Brian, you know, don't be afraid to go to go hit him up for sure. One by the, like the Imagination Station. There's tennis courts there by the Imagination Station, but they actually put in pickleball, like actual pickleball courts. Then you could put one in that area. I feel like you get more players. East End's sure. too far for some I know. people. Well, it's we got different creatures <laughs> over there too, right? Um, <laughs> that's another discussion. But um, so good stuff there. And then the last thing I kind of want to know, Matt, um, you got to pitch in the minors and. Minor leagues is tough and a lot of people. You just kind of talked to, talked about how uh, some of these kids coming out of high school, they just immediately, you know, they don't know what's coming. They don't know how hard it's going to be. Um, but, the like, even me as a fan, I know the minor leagues is hard because it's a grind and it's a long process. Other than other sports where you get drafted and, you're, and you're, there is no minor league. You're pretty much playing right away. So I want you to talk about that and how cool it was for you to kind of start out beginning of your towards the beginning of your career in Fort Wayne kind of cl- really close to Brian and close to the hometown and how cool it was to have that support yeah honestly I think that was really pivotal in my, in my first year uh being close to home um you know what were the odds the year before my high school like my senior year I went over and talked to a couple guys 
on the Fort Wayne team to ask them like what their thoughts were coming up from high school and then um, the odds of me getting drafted by the one team who does play in Fort Wayne. So it was awesome being close to home. You know, I definitely felt the support of Brian and all my friends and family and family friends and just people from Brian coming over to watch the game. So obviously, you know, to be close to home, to like be able to see my family when I need to. And, and obviously that year, you know, after the first couple, the first month, I was kind of so-so. And then I kind of, everything just started clicking into place. And, uh, you know, I give a lot of credit, too, to my pitching coach there. He was huge for me. He gave me, you know, the slider grip that I use today. So without him, I don't know where I would be. And just kind of like my first full year of, you know, being on my own and being a mature adult, but also being close to home and I can go get a home-cooked meal for my parents, you know, on off days and stuff that <laughs> most guys don't get. And uh, being in a familiar place where I kind of knew my way around the town without worrying about too much. So I think that had a lot of stock in just being comfortable my first full year. And then actually have going out there and, you know, have my parents at most of my starts, um, you know, being able to, you know, go home, play some golf when Orchard was still a thing. And, yeah. Um, so it was great. I mean, being close to home was great. Um, having that access, but still being far enough away where it wasn't like I was back in Brian. And I just think it helped, you know, me be comfortable. And then that kind of turned into, you know, having a good year and kind of put myself on the map and then went out there the next two years and, um, uh, Actually, the next year, put myself even more on the map. Had a really, I, I feel like I had a better year in 2013 than 2012, just because I was really young for my age in Double A and stuff. And mm-hmm. like I said, nowadays you got 20 year olds that are putting up ones in Double A. But back then, you know, seven years ago, there wasn't as many 20 year olds in Double A as there is probably now. Yep. So go out there and have success early in my career definitely helped to kind of put myself on the map. And I definitely know that doing that turned myself into like a prospect, quote unquote, like has helped me still get jobs to this day because I know prospect status doesn't mean you're going to have a great career, but it can definitely help you get more opportunities. And I think that's definitely helped um, to this day. For sure. Um, last question here before we get into our final segment. Uh, just touch on this quick, Matt. How do, You've been on seven MLB teams uh, throughout your career. What's the biggest key for you in staying adaptive, and I know I'm sure you'll probably at some point in this answer say, like, at the end of the day, it's the business, which it is. Yeah. But how is it like you mentally? How do you control that? How do you move past that? And how do you kind of attack, you know, wherever you're going? I mean, seven MLB teams in yeah. however many years, I mean, not even 10 years uh, after being drafted, I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, ideally, I'd like to find a place where I can spend more than, a, you know, three months at a time. So, I think the biggest thing is just, um, like, I mean, like you said, it is a business, so I understand all that, and I understand that I am going to change teams. Being a, a reliever that's, you know, hasn't really had a strict role, I haven't been a back-end guy very long, and even last year was the first time that I really turned in myself into, like, a back-end guy. I think having two good years back-to-back is definitely going to help. Um, but a lot of it is you just have to understand that as a reliever, like, you're a dime a dozen. I'm not making this ridiculous contract where teams can't cut me and worry about the cost, so... Um, you just kind of understand it's going to be a fluid position. I know, you know, I got, I know, I had a teammate in 2020, Tyler Clippard. He's had a hell of a career, much better than mine. And he had, you know, 11 years uh, big league service. He had played, no, in 10 years of big league service, he had played for 11 teams and like three teams, like twice over. So, like, he'd actually played for the 15 teams. So, as a reliever, I mean, you're just going to be. There's a lot of, I mean, I don't think too many have been doing the path that I'm on, but I know some other guys that, yeah, you just get picked up and a team tries to give you some opportunities and if you take advantage, they keep in. If not, then they get rid of you. And 
luckily enough for me, I've kind of, you know, I've pitched well enough and shown enough to get picked up by other teams. But I'm hoping that, you know, in the last couple of years, I can finally start to build on that and, and kind of stay more consistent. I think that's the one thing that I've realized is staying consistent team to team and who I am and what I do. And also like the work that I put in, I think that honestly kind of helps as well because teams know that I'm not going to, you know, make any make any mess in the clubhouse. I'm going to come in, do my work. I'm going to be very adaptable. If you have stuff that you want me to change, tell me, I'll do it. So I think that definitely helps. And just, just staying consistent. I mean, it, the, the hardest part is like, I mean, it gets frustrating, obviously getting told you're not good enough for one team, but then getting picked up, it's like a new opportunity every time. And uh, so it can wear on you, but at the same time, like I've been really blessed getting opportunities with other teams. And the biggest pain in the ass is just picking up and like finding an apartment in every new city yeah. we go to, but then like right. dealing with the stuff. So like that stuff, you know, luckily for my, my wife's really good at doing all that stuff, but like that stuff, <laughs> doing, dealing with that stuff is probably the worst part about it. Obviously, you know, your pride gets hurt every time you get called in the office and the manager said, hey, we're going to release you, designate you, whatever. It hurts, but you get over it and you just move on. Awesome stuff there, Matt. Um, so this or that, it's a segment where uh, you get to, I'm going to give you two questions. You get to choose which one you want to answer. And it, this is where, like, you know, the memories start to, we, we start to hash over here. It's, it's, I love it. So you don't know what's coming to you here. So you, I'm, I'm hoping to see some surprising answers out of this one. I'm really excited. So let's start with this one. Um, the craziest teammate that you've ever had, like the one that you can interpret that however you want, uh, or uh, your best Coach Billman story. <laughs> oh, man, Bill. Yeah, that, I think the best Bill story was uh, – <laughs> I think he's kind of mellowed out in his older age, yeah. I think, with the kids and stuff, you know, having his stepkids and everything and his own kid. Same thing with Roofer. Roofer had to get mellowed out a lot with it. But uh, Bill's, my favorite Bill was, there's actually two of them. The one he smashed a radio. Oh, I remember that. I think it was PH, right? Yeah, that was pretty, we still laugh about that to this day. None of us, I mean, obviously, you know, my dad blew up with the best of them. So none of that stuff came as much of a shock to me. But it was, I mean, in the moment you were like, what in the, after like a big loss. But it was honestly pretty funny and I take no offense to it. And then the shampoo one. Just the oh. fact that he did clients. And I was just, I was sicker than hell. I had lost like 15 that. pounds in two days and tried to play. Sucked. That. Just exhausted. <laughs> we got blown out. And he broke the shampoo and it was just going down on his shirt and stuff. It was probably honestly some of the funniest <laughs> moments in high school. And like, I hope that stuff still happens to this day because it was oh. pretty funny. And like in the moment, like honestly, I was so tired anyway. I didn't know what was going on, but. Some of the funniest things to look back on a joke, and I hope it doesn't get mad at me for telling those stories. <laughs> honestly, some of the funniest things to look back on. Otherwise, what's the point of going through high school? You know, exactly. All, you know, super easy. Exactly. No, I remember. I remember like you were super sick that game, and I always forget about the shampoo bottle. But I think that's probably among you guys. That's like the best one because it's just exploded, and he's trying to dry it off. <laughs> um, yeah. So next one. Uh, this will kind of balance, you know, the high school aspect and your MLB aspect. Favorite park that you've ever played at, and at any level, it can be any yeah. level, or your favorite high school gym to play at. Well, I can give you an easy answer for the high school. That's ours. I always like yeah. the best. But uh, I'll answer both. As for the park, it's honestly really hard. Um, 
there's only a couple stadiums that I don't like. I think Petco is definitely a, a top three. They have Braves stadium, top three. And honestly, that new Globe Life stadium was pretty ridiculous. Oh, yeah? Text. But uh, <laughs> it's so hard to pick because there's really not – there's only a couple of stadiums that I'm like I dread to go to. Like Oakland's a dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly, most stadiums are pretty show. And you just kind of get – like you get accustomed to the lifestyle. Honestly – it's not even the stadium. It's more the city and the hotel we stay in that I look forward to. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Uh, last one here, and we'll get you out of here. So, all-time three-point record holder, Matt Whistler. Uh, I'm not – I don't know if you know, – I was – oh, man, I was trying. My high school career, <laughs> that's what I wanted so bad. Uh, didn't get it, fell just short. Um, you- what's that? How many short were I finished. I think I finished with 109. So you're you're 117, right? I don't. I, I, I don't know. I, th- I think <laughs> your I th- your number was 117. I missed four games that year. Just that I'll just say I would have had it unless I had the four games. I'll say that to you right now. Um, I, sick, I had about four sick games. Each two sick games my junior senior year that I died from. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, there you go. They just killed my case there. My, my, my question, my question was going to be make your case as to why no one even comes close to you in the realm of, of shooters of Brian. So you just killed that. So don't even worry about that one. Uh, or I, this one's really broad, just best MLB story you got. Give, give me a, we were talking about Tatis during the break, uh, a funny story with him or, or just a funny story with a teammate, just something that'll make us laugh here on the last segment. Some, there's a lot of good stories in the business. I mean, it was just, honestly, like it's funny we talked about last. I was talking to some guys last year. Like you don't remember how good a player was. You just kind of remember um, the people and who you're with. And honestly, I think the best thing about the big leagues is the people I've been in, caught in touch with and the people I've got to know. And just dicking around, you know, whether it's in the bullpen. You know, last year was a lot of fun. We joked. We all made fun of each other. Uh, the camaraderie stuff with that stuff was actually real. And having a good team and stuff is fun. And then a lot of times, like we used to with the Braves, we'd all hang out in a you know in a room together, hang out, drink. And then some of my fondest memories are just like going out and getting a random dinner with the guy. Yeah. You know, I went. Uh, there's a night I went out and we had a couple of drinks and we went out to a steakhouse in New York at like three in the morning. And like just stupid stuff like that is kind of the stuff you remember. And yeah. Just hanging out with a bunch of dudes, drinking on the plane, gambling on the plane, you know, doing whatever you want. Just kind of, just fun nights, man. Like, you just, it's the stuff that kind of gets away from baseball. Obviously, the, the playing of baseball is good enough in itself, but um, hanging out with some guys, just kicking it and being normal dudes in a, in a fun lifestyle. Awesome. Uh, how we wrap this up is we do shout outs. So I'll, I'll go first to give you uh, someone to shout out. I'm going to shout out Dylan Dominic and Matthew Clark. They helped. Uh, they helped some questions here today. So I'm going to shout out them. Is there anybody you want to shout out before we sign off? I'll just shout out the whole town of Bryan. I had a really good time growing up uh, in Bryan. Loved it. Obviously, Tom helped in defiance, but he was also Bryanite. Yeah. Uh, just the town itself, man. Like I, my parents have moved out now, but I still have you know Caleb and and JP, and I think James is going to move back. Mm-hmm. I don't think of anyone else like my friend group that's in Brian. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just honestly, the whole town itself was so fun. And I look forward to one day showing my kids the town and showing them. Obviously, I can't show them the high school that I built, but apparently, you know. <laughs> Are you really going to stake a claim to that? I like that. That's a great way to go out, Matt. Thanks for coming on. 
uh, good luck this year, whatever the season starts. And, and I really appreciate you coming on. So thank you so much. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate it.